Nine minutes after 10 o'clock, you're listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for joining us and staying with us if you've been with us. So, Minister Sitle Zigalala, who's now the newly appointed Minister of Public Works and Infrastructure, appeared before Parliament. And he was answering questions by members of Parliament. And one of the questions was around how much the department has spent uh, on uninterrupted electricity supply for ministers. Leon Schreiber of the DA was the one who asked the questions. He said that according to reports, the department spent 18.3 million on electricity alone for their homes in Cape Town and 7.4 million uh, was for water. Um, the minister then came and said, well, from 2019 June to date, they've spent 7 million rand uh, for uninterrupted electricity uh, or uninterrupted power for their ministers, for ministers and their deputies uh, presumably in their official residences. The optics of this is quite upsetting. Naturally so, right? But really we need to get into the detail of it all. And to join me for this conversation is Wayne Duvenacher. Wayne Duvenage is the CEO of AUTA, Professor Ntikelelo Breakfast, who's at the Department of History and po- uh, Political Studies at NMMU, NMU, Nelson Mandela University, and Cynthia Schumann, uh, Cynthia Skuman is the Managing Director of Ethics, Monitoring and Management Services Propriety Limited. Uh, she'll be joining us a little bit later in the conversation. I want to start here with you, Wayne. Firstly, good morning and thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I want to start here with you. Um, Seven million rand is that, I guess it's the official figure because coming from the minister in parliament means it's under oath. It's what we presume to be the official figure that has been spent from June 2019 to date. Um, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. Is it worth making an issue out of? Wayne? Oh, it seems like we just uh, lost Wayne over there. Let's see if we can get him connected back to the line. Uh, but, but uh, Professor Breakfast, I, wanna, I want you to reflect mm. on the same question. Is mm. it worth a story? Um, what is the question? Um, sorry, sorry, man. I missed the um, uh, question. Sorry, man. About that. Right. So the official number we have on record from the Minister of Work, uh, Public Works and Infrastructure is 7 mm. million rand from June 2019 to date. Yes, yes, yes. If you were to yeah. aggregate that over, over a couple of years... What sure. you're looking at really here is about 2 million rand um, on average over the last couple of years being spent on uninterrupted power supply for ministers. Mm. It doesn't sound like an awful lot of money in the greater scheme of the fiscal. Certain departments spent more on this mm. uh, just buying toilet paper, right? Mm. Is this worth mm. consideration as a story? Is, is there something to unpack here at all? Uh, thank you very much for um, setting the scene. Um, I'm well aware, though, that you did get a backlash from one of the uh, ministers, I think um, earlier on, if I'm not uh, mistaken, yes. uh, coming up with a, uh, an antithesis. But if the allegations as they stand, they are valid, I think that arrangement will be out of line. Uh, I know that maybe the argument that might be put forward might be that, you know, you know for security uh, reasons, ministers must be uh, exempted from power outage. But at the same time, I think it sends a wrong message, you know, that ministers are not on power with other uh, citizens that they are leading. And, and, you know, it gives the impression that they're not in touch with the uh, realities that other people are faced with on, uh, on the ground, you know. Yeah. So it's not it's not uh, justifiable. Mm. Wayne, do you want to reflect on that? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I was 
dropped the la- the line dropped there, uh, Oliver. So not sure what I'm going to reflect on, but I did get a gist of the uh, of the intro. Look, I think our view is that um, ministers get a lot of perks, and while you're quite right in the greater scheme of things, is it a lot of money? It's not about the money so much as about the fact that ministers tend to be sheltered from and uh, uh, away from the experiences that the ordinary citizen feels every day. And the more perks, and it's like providing generators and so forth uh, to these ministers, the more you distance themselves from the realities uh, of, the, of the pressure of living in South Africa that uh, everybody else is having to endure and, and deal with. And that's really the issue. You know, when, when ministers have to uh, suffer the same costs and consequences, so they might start to realize that we've got a lot of work to do as ministers in service delivery uh, to the citizens of this country. And that's the real issue from our side. Yeah. But let's then really test that normative issue a little bit, Wayne, because it, it mm. there are some substantive questions to it. Um, if I own, if I'm a shareholder of Organization A and I am headquartered in Cape Town, and I want to appoint you, Wayne, as the CEO of that organization. But you happen to be living in Johannesburg, um, mm. where your where what your offices reside. One half of the business is in Johannesburg, one half is in Cape Town, and you have to move between these two cities. And I say, look, we'll have an official residence for you uh, that we will own, we will maintain um, in Cape Town, but you can live in it for the duration of which you are the uh, CEO of the company. Do I not have a duty to you? to also make sure that there's uninterrupted electricity supply in that residence, Wayne? Well, um, yes and no. Uh, So you could argue it from that point of view. And I think if you're looking at it from a a company um, requirements or work requirements point of view, then you can justify it. What we are saying, though, is that there are so many perks now uh, that they are sheltered completely. So it might be that... um, if I, if I lived in that house in Cape Town or here, uh, and that's the residence provided for me, uh, but now, now we have load shedding, and especially in the ministerial role. Uh, and, and, and you now need to go, I need to go and live in this house. I've got to make a decision. Do I put in a generator or not? Because I don't want to suffer the consequences of, of load shedding, or do I put in solar or whatever the, uh, uh solutions are. Now it might be the, well, the asset now accrues to the house and who, benefits from it who owns it later on and i understand the number of questions there oliver yeah uh, it's just frustrating for us as citizens to see perk after perk additional perks after additional perks you know firstly to have five thousand a month paid for electricity and 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 water uh, why is that you know they earn a salary we all earn salaries our companies don't pay for our water and electricity so why is that perk there in the first place because that's where you start and then, okay, we're going to throw that in. Now we're going to throw in the generators if you need generators, uh, and and the list goes on. So yeah, that's but really I mean, is it re- is it does it qualify as a perk? Because the ministers don't own the official residences; they just live in it for the duration of which they're a minister. No, they're paying tax on it. What, what do you mean? Question. Well, it's a perk; it's a benefit. So if you get free uh, home uh, in a company, you your rent is paid for or your home is paid for, you've got to pay tax on it because it's a benefit. I don't think they pay taxes on these uh, benefits. Okay, that's that's an interesting point. Um, P- Professor Breakfast, 
the consideration mm. really also then is that if we want ministers to be efficient and effective and if we want ministers and expect them to work around the clock to solve the myriad of issues we have in the country, the least mm. we can do is make sure that they have uninterrupted electricity supply so that a minister can't opt out of a meeting at 9 p.m. in the evening mm. because they're in the middle of load shedding. It's in the best interest of the country, some may argue, for a minister to have no for ministers to have uninterrupted power supply. What do you what do you make of that consideration? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's why I said um, earlier on that maybe due to security reasons, they are exempted from... I'm not talking about the rightness or uh, the wrongness of that. Yeah. However, the difficulty that I have in accepting this arrangement is that ESCOM has been used by some members of the ruling party as a center of accumulation to amass wealth. There have been members of the ANC who have used social capital and political capital in pursuit of personal accumulation. Yeah. So I'm saying that we are in this mess because of uh, you know the political elite that are associated with the ANC. So mm. for them to be exempted then from power outage is a bit of a national uh, uh, concern. Mm. Is it is it a concern on an optics level? Yeah, I mean, look, the issue is that for me. Um, the real party should take full responsibility for the way things are. You know, I mean, the real party, the mm. ANC was made aware, I think in 1998, that at some point there will be this problem. And they did not do what they should have done in terms of uh, investing in uh, ESCOM. So now to exempt some people from power outages, I think it's unfortunate. Mm, mm. When to what extent, and I mean, you, you made the, the, the reference a little bit in half your answer in the opening um, uh, answer there, that it, it, it is really about um, what ministers are seen to be done. And, and to, the, to that extent, optics seems to matter. To what extent would it help our trust in the state if ministers were to all come on radio like Minister Zulu did this morning and say, look, I am also affected by load shedding. I live in it too. I'm also as frustrated by load shedding as you are. I too have to make alternative arrangements to go about my work and my uh, personal life. Um, you are not in this alone. Yeah. Well, it would seem that way, um, but it's when we hear uh, the answers to questions in Parliament that paints a different picture. And I think it goes beyond that, Oliver, uh, you know, if we would all, citizens, like to see, and I know it's very difficult, so it's a debatable topic, but imagine if every minister's kids had to go to a government school. If, imagine every minister who felt ill had to go to a government hospital uh, or had no uh, protection paid for by the state or themselves because they were they had to rely on the police when, when, when things were going wrong at home yeah. from a security point of view. Wouldn't that change the perception of how we run our country as ministers? Wouldn't that up the game and say, look, guys, we have to fix this? Because if our citizens are having to sleep in the passages of government hospitals for two to three days to just be seen to by a doctor, and I have to subject myself as a minister to the same thing, wouldn't things change? That's mm. really the essence. So it comes down to you know, provision of electricity. If I have to pay for my own electricity, and I see these costs rising every uh, every year, uh, well above inflation, uh, we might have different discussions when it comes to Parliament, uh, when it comes to holding uh, our Cabinet members to account. That's really the essence of all of this. So I think, you know, what happens is when we hear answers to these questions in Parliament that suddenly now all these additional costs and perks and generators are, 
are picked up by the state. It just adds, as you were asking earlier, it 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 it, it grows that that frustration that we have as a citizenry. Yeah, absolutely right. We're going to take a break. On the other side of this, we continue the conversation. Oliver Dixon on SAFM. 86 I'd love to hear from you. We're discussing uh, the report by Minister Sikhle uh, Zigalala uh, in Parliament that to date 7 million rand has been spent uh, from 2019 June uh, for an uninterrupted electricity supply for ministers. We had a call min- uh, earlier on from Minister Lindy Wazulu who disputed this and said, look, I experienced load shedding both at my home in Senton as well as my official residence in Cape Town. Um, I don't know what this thing is that ministers do not experience load shedding. My colleagues who live in the same estate that I do in Cape Town, uh, who are also ministers, also experience load shedding. Um, then the question really is about where does this figure come from? But really, it's about the optics. And 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 before we went to the break, there, Wayne Duvanakasi of Outer makes the argument that it really is about ministers emerging themselves um, into the lived realities and frustrations of ordinary South Africans. Uh, that ministers should be making use of public facilities such as public schools, public hospitals, perhaps some may even argue public transport, although that comes with its own risks associated, potentially security risks over there. Um, But the question is, if ministers were to use public facilities, would you see a overnight turnaround in the operations of these facilities? Um, I don't know. 86 2032086002032 legislatively uh Wayne could we force public servants and public officials to make use of uh the facilities that they in public govern and preside over legislatively because laws passed new laws are made in parliament and uh I don't think that the ministers themselves would vote uh, for laws of this nature, this is something that has to come from the top. I think it's uh, it's more a leadership issue. Imagine if we did have a president that said, look, we're going to get closer to the realities of our citizens in this country. And I'm encouraging and we're going to do what we can to make sure that, that, that our uh, people who hold the positions uh, as MPs and as cabinet, that we start doing a lot more of this and how they do it and how they go about it would be would be very interesting. Uh, so it, it really does come down to leadership. I mean, we shouldn't be sitting here today, Oliver, with all of these problems that we have. With uh, We spend more per capita uh, on education uh, in South Africa than our brothers and uh, our neighboring countries uh, north of us, and yet we have a, a far lower output when it comes to the education results. Uh, so we're producing more and more kids coming out of school that are unemployable. And that's the sin. That's the biggest worry that we have in why is it that we spend more and we get less back? And it's not just in education. It is in hospitals. It is in uh, just what we're getting at municipal level now. And we can see this. The rates and taxes keep going up, but the maintenance uh, gets worse and worse. The salaries go up, but the service delivery drops. We really have to change the way we govern cities, towns, and our provinces and our country. And it doesn't seem to be resonating with uh, the pe- people in positions of power. Uh, and we've got to we've got to do something differently. 
Yeah. So, so so let's take this consideration for a second then, because it, 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 it truly then is a part of the leadership ethos that we have in the country. Yeah. Um, your argument to the pretext of that point you make is that ministers are divorced from the reality of South Africans. Mm-hmm. Many ministers will tell you, I know poverty. I pay black tax too. I have family members who on my meager ministerial salary I have to support. Poverty is not mm-hmm. escaped from me just because I have blue lights. I am also deeply frustrated by the cost of living. Uh, uh, just like you, I'm not divorced from the reality of the frustrations of South Africans. What do you make of that? Well, I would say that they are because uh, they do have uh, the luxuries of, of, and you say, as you say, the blue lights. Uh, they do have the generators that kick in when they when the power goes out. They do uh, uh, not uh, generally. I don't know, and I'm generalizing, so I might be wrong. It's not good to generalize, uh, but I'm wondering if the kids are going to government schools or. Or, or private schools. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about current uh, uh, administration and the next ones that come along and the next ones. Imagine the next administration coming in and saying, if you come into this role, you must know that you will have to use a, a, a public health facility if you get ill. Now that makes you sit up and think, uh, and am I going to change that? Am I going to be part of the change as a person in parliament? Or am I going to just accept it and, um, and hope I don't get sick? Uh, or that type of conversation starts to take place. So uh, I think it's an interesting discussion. I don't think we have all the answers. But yes, of course, people aren't divorced from their reality. We do have family members uh, that, that, that live with these challenges, and we hear about them and we engage with them. Uh, but does that pain, is that pain felt by people in positions of power? I'd say yeah. largely not. Yeah. Wayne, thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate it. Going to have to leave it there with you because I do know that you have to leave us. But you can give us a call, 86 What are your views on this? Uh, potentially, what, what are your reflections on... Um, the leadership, the quality of leadership, and the leadership ethos uh, that Wayne Duvernacher there is impugning, saying that we don't have a leadership ethos uh, that speaks to being one with the people effectively. I'd love to hear from you on that. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. Taking your voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. It's half past ten, and Musa has your headlines. Hi, Oliver. You're speaking with Tembiso from Pumala. I don't think that it makes sense that you providing me with poor quality health and when you then you at the same time you are accessing a high quality health care from a private hospital it doesn't make sense this is the same thing that even nurses working in in public hospital they must not have medical aid they must also attend to the same hospital that they are teachers must not send their children in private school they must send their children in the public school that they are teaching so that they can improve the the, the results it's not fair good morning oliver i must say I, I was shocked to learn of those figures of the upgrade of ministerial place houses for but electricity inventors and all that I just passed the Khrotiskiri Ministerial Estate where the president lives and the deputy president. On Friday, the place looks appalling. Perimeter wall is dirty, there are weeds growing all over, green, green grass is not being cut. So what kind of maintenance is public works performing if that's what we see as the public when you pass the place? Thanks, bye. This is Derek from Flanga. 
talking about the ministers and their perks um, their free housing no load shedding i think it is despicable and disgusting they have no clue what the poorest of the poor live like no clue whatsoever they don't know what it's like to endure six hours of load shedding they don't know what it's like to go and look for water to no, have no electricity i think we need ministers and a government that is prepared to live an average lifestyle at very best and an average salary drive their own cars and a toyota corolla is sufficient they don't need the big black x5 uh, it's just such a pity that we've got ministers in the, their positions for money and for power and for status and for greed instead of for serving the people a toyota corolla is sufficient they don't need the big x5s that's an interesting statement <laughs> you know what i agree with it let's go to the lines Cizwe in chatworth Cizwe, good morning my brother, Oliver, and to your listeners. My brother, uh, in our country, we've got a problem of not being so willing to follow our Bill of Rights in our Constitution. In a, uh, I think in our Bill of Rights, Article 1, we've got uh, equal rights for all. But uh, when we're going to have ministers who are incompetent, uh, getting so much paid and then so much benefits for being useless in fact mm. well 28 28 years, we are going to 29 now and then still they have improved the country they have improved the people of life it's whether it's a white politician indian politician a black politician Go to the communities of all these people live. You see white beggars on the street. You see Indian beggars. You see uh, distinct black beggars. Uh, people living in sheds. And uh, and and, and uh, uh, while we having ministers enjoying life and, uh, and having shows of cooking. Mm. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. My brother. Yeah. My brother. Thanks equality a lot for is, the, is the key yeah. to change this country. We need to make sure that we are all equal. No one gets to, to be higher than uh, others. Absolutely. Cizwe, thanks a lot for your Thank call. I really do appreciate it. Um, Cizwe is absolutely right. Equality is key, he says. And it's the only solution to this country. Yunus in Johannesburg. Yunus, good morning. Yeah, hi there, Oliver. Oliver, I think Wayne had some valid points the arguments there. You know, the question is, from the last time I read, ministers, the salaries amount to about 2 million plus over per annum. Now, for ministers Zulu to come on the air and tell you that, oh, inverters are very expensive with getting a salary of over 2 million a year, what does an ordinary person then do? Mm. You know? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, because the ordinary yeah, South African doesn't earn 2 million a year. <laughs> exactly. In fact, Precisely. the average South African will not earn two million in their lifetime precisely so for her to say that inverters are very expensive do what do ordinary people then do you know so and talking of there's one thing about this <laughs> the ministers and uh, one thing which they like and uh, they we've inherited from the apartheid era is a ministerial handbook it's been adjusted here and there but that is where the crux of the thing comes in all the perks are given to them so as an Ordinary MP, they earn about 100000 a month from what I last read, right? 
But ministers, we live the reality of the day, Oliver. You know crime is a major problem in this country. But if you're walking around with two or three bodyguards, well, I'll feel safe. You mm. know, they, like they say, they send, they go to private hospitals, they send the children to private hospitals and to private schools. Why don't they go to government schools and to government hospitals? Look, mm. the fact is, whether you like it or not, in South America, there's been the Bolivian president, for example, who lived the life of an ordinary person. You know, he drove an ordinary car. He drove the, was it Evo Morales, for, I think. Previous mm. Iranian president, Ahmadinejad, his wife used to pack him lunch and he used to take and to go to work with the lunchbox. Mm. You know, our ministers here and our government officials, they live a life of utter luxury and then, you know, for, I mean, if you could recall a few years ago, I, I'm still laughing till today, I don't know if you'd recall, I think it was Tokyo Sekhwale who went, went one day to deep slow to sleep and to say, I want to see how a black man lives. Yeah. I mean, I nearly, <laughs> I nearly fall off my chair. Yeah. You yeah. know, so really what they talk and what, they, what happens on the ground is too different than that gap. The divide is, is, is increasing between ordinary people and let alone the rich and the poor, it's the government ministers and the poor and the ordinary people that divide is increasing all the time. And I think uh, that needs to be taken into account. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yunus, thank you so much for that. Thanks, Appreciate Oliver. it. Wasn't it Thomas Ankara that used to drive a bicycle to work and work in a, a, a office with no air conditioning at all in the heat of Burkina Faso? <laughs> um, I heard a story once. I don't know how true it is, but I heard a story once that Tabombeki's wife used to pack him lunch as well. So at cabinet meetings, when they take a break and all the ministers would order lunch or would have something prepared, he, he would take out his lunchbox from, from, his, from his book bag. I don't know if that's true, but I'll ask. I'll ask him. I'll ask him. Warren in the Eastern Cape. Warren, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Oliver, and your guest. I'd like to add my voice to this about ministers. Anybody that works for government, Anybody that works for municipalities should, by law, go to public facilities. Now, I go to a public facility. I don't have medical aid. And my wife and I have to have major surgery done on our legs down mm. in East London at Freer. And I'm now trying to organize. I might have to take a lot of money out of my personal savings, which will make an incredible hole in it. So... Um, yes, I would like to be able to say if one political party was to uh, pick up on this, okay, they would then get a, a lot of people agreeing with them that ministers or anybody that works for government, municipality, go to a public facility. And I can assure you, Oliver, within months, you will see an incredible turnaround in the quality of service Everything will be like a normal uh, private hospital and things would be so much better because then, as people are saying, um, yes, let them see what the poor and those that cannot afford medical aid uh, go through at these public facilities. And mm. I'd just like to hear a comment from your, um, yourself and your guest, please. 
Yeah, look, I, I do think that ministers and public officials, not just ministers, public officials across the board, mayors, MECs, premiers, yes, DGs, definitely. all of them should make use of public facilities uh, because then we have a shared frustration uh, about public facilities. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I mean, certain public officials also have to stand in the line at home affairs. Uh, why can't we extend that to other facilities like hospitals in particular and schools, public schools? I do know that some ministers will tell you, well, my child is in the public school, but it's in the public schools that actually work and function, which are not the vast majority of public schools. It's in the nice Pretoria girls, Pretoria boys public schools, in the Parktown girls, Parktown boys public schools. It's almost never uh, in, in you know, Musipatila senior secondary school in Kahiso type of public schools. Uh, so it, it certainly is something that I agree with, Warren. Uh, entirely. I want to introduce Cynthia into the question, uh, into the conversation here. Uh, Cynthia, it, 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 it re- thank you so much for joining us. Cynthia Schoolman is the Managing Director of Ethics, Monitoring and Management Services Propriety. Why, why is it, Cynthia, that you think that there's been a lack in the ethos of our leaders to really immerse themselves into the frustrations of the people and rise above it as, as and when they're able to use their power and means to be able to do so. Um, is it innately human to try and veer away from um, poor quality services and anyone who would ever be in a position to do so would do so? Or is it that our ministers have a, and politicians by and large, have a special lack of that ethos? I, I think the question is, is multifaceted, Oliver. I, I think that in general in society, in our country and elsewhere, where someone has the means, they, they would put it to you and they would say, I want to have the best life I can, provide the best life I can for my family. And, and if we phrase it that way, it sounds uh, not only palatable, it sounds acceptable that you would want to give your children the best education you could. And, and so that is, is very much a normal human aspiration. The challenge comes in when you're looking at the vast, vast social gaps that we have in our society. In a more equal society, that might not be found upon to the same extent at all. But, but in such a vastly unequal society, this does become a problematic situation. And, and when listening to your callers and just picking up the sentiment there, where there is a perception that ministers are, are living this life of luxury while the economy is in really a, a very poor state, where citizens are facing you know, another electricity increase on Friday, um, that gap is, is perceived to be huge. And, and what it equates to is that the, the politicians, the senior ministers, are seen to have lost touch with their own electorate, and that is problematic in, in any country, uh, of course, including in ours. Why do the electorate fail at punishing them for it, at the ballot box or otherwise? Uh, well, well, now you're asking a, a, a very complex question because when we look at, at voting patterns um, in any country, um, yes, there is, if you want, the rational voter who looks at it and says, which party will serve my needs in the present and in the future? 
but what we have to take into account is that there's a huge amount of loyalty involved in, in terms of loyalties to political parties and historical loyalties uh, that, that can and often do completely eclipse what might be considered a, a more rational view that, that is basing it on a sort of cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. You know, which party, as I say, would benefit me and my family and, and into the future. Yeah. I, I want to equate this a little bit with uh, circling back about the human aspiration question um, and it, it coupling it with inequality, social inequality, economic inequality and otherwise in South Africa. I want to couple it really and ask is, is, it the, is our letting politicians off the hook on this question the same reason we admire billionaires? We hope to aspire to that one day. And if we if we vilify them, uh, for that life, that w- if we get there uh, in our aspiration, that we we will not have those th- that sort of lifestyle. Is is there a psychological link between those two? Uh, uh, I guess considerations. I I wouldn't see it that way. I I think that that human aspiration to to want for better, to want to provide for better for for your family, for even for their their future. I I think that this is sound and doesn't necessarily have an unethical element to it. What what I do think is problematic, and and so I I would rephrase what, what you're saying as a problem, is that we have seen regrettably for a long period, we have seen many high-profile figures apparently having got away with all sorts of unethical and illegal deeds. We saw the evidence coming through, for example, in Zondo, and, and yet if you and I were to have a discussion around how many actual prosecutions are there, you know, the number would be very, very small, uh, to the number of people who, who stand accused of, of grave ethical breaches. And so what that has led to is, is really a, quite a, a serious lack of accountability, a decline in accountability um, around, you know, what the hell, nothing's going to happen anyway. And what that leads to is an associated increase in a sense of impunity. Now, when we look at that relative to the point we just made, the the trap uh, that people easily fall into is to almost put it colloquially, they say, what the hell? I mean, all these these senior officials and ministers are are lining their pockets, getting away with it. Why am I the idiot who's following Mm. all the rules? And, And so I think we create almost an acceptance of a completely unacceptable um, sort of pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. Let's for a moment consider the communication between uh, people in power, and in this instance we're talking here about ministers and ordinary citizens, the electorate. Is there a breakdown in how ministers communicate their lifestyle uh, versus how we perceive it and how we communicate our frustrations to them versus how they uh, absorb it. I, I think I think that when we started with with the the comment we passed up front that that there's such a broad sense that that ministers and deputies are living a life of luxury and have lost lost touch with with what the ordinary citizen is experiencing. It came through so 
scold me in, in your caller speaking about them not using public facilities, that, that I think this is very, very much an issue. And, and here again, you know, accurate communication is always a help. I, I note, for example, that you had, you know, the Minister of Social Development as a caller, um, you know, going uh, at length to tell you that she has load shedding. Let's be clear on her Santon home. But in fact, the Minister of Public Works Communication, his written reply to Parliament, was very clear. He said that generators and inverters for cabinet ministers and their, and their, min, and their deputies have been procured for ministerial homes in Pretoria. So, I mean, that communication was perfectly clear. Um, even the sort of weekend press reported very clearly that there had not been expenditure on generators and inverters in Cape Town for ministers' homes. In Pretoria, largely in, in Vatacliff, um, not in Sampton. In, in other homes, this was not what the statement said. Yeah. So I use that as an illustration that, that she's not cross-referencing the actual official report to Parliament that was, in this instance, perfectly clear. Mm. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. This is a teaching moment, is it not, Cynthia? But what is it exactly that we're learning? I think there are a couple of lessons in this, and, and, and I'm not sure many of them are, are, are that positive, but I, I think one of the lessons that specifically comes out of the, the issue of the discussion around the minister's perks and benefits is that when we're looking at the ministerial handbook, of course, and this, by the way, is the updated version. This was updated in 2019. Um, this is a document that provides guidelines, if you want rules, about what benefits and perks ministers and their deputies and, and various other officials have. And it relates to residences, relocations, travel, local and, and international, transport security and the like. And, mm. and so this is, this is um, at a level, a, a perfectly clear document. Here's one of the lessons that we can have the best rules and the best guidelines in the world. But actually, they're not worth anything if they're not enforced. Yeah. And if they're not enforced with consequences. And, and so I think that that's one of the glaring ethics lessons that comes out of this, that the best rules in the planet, if they're not enforced and if there are no consequences, can you see, then we're back to the point we made earlier around declining levels of accountability and increasing levels of impunity, just what we don't need. Mm. Give us a call. I'd love to hear from you. 86 Cynthia, let's have a listen to some of the WhatsApp voice notes that's come through on our WhatsApp line. Thank you. Come on now, Oliver. I think we also need to be realistic in our expectations. Why would a minister who lives in Waterloo in Pretoria send the their child to for sake to Mabupani High School? Any parent want their child to be as near as is possible to their home. So making that example of why is the minister not sending their child to say Musupatila High School, which for me is equivalent to probably to Mabupani High? And sending them to Pretoria of Pactown girls. It's it's ridiculous. 
does the person living in Kahiso to send their child to Muspatil? I mean, come on, man. Debu here. Thanks, bye. That's an interesting point, um, Cynthia. What's your consideration thereof? The, the challenge is that, that when we are outraged, as we now are by these perks, can you see that we often then entrain other things that are not actually connected? Do you know, ministers here, yes, they earn a good salary. In general, they're remunerated well around the world. You know, are our salaries better? Maybe we've got more ministers and we should, and that's another conversation. Uh, but I think, you know, sending their children to, to the best education, we would all do that if we have the opportunity. The, the challenge, I think, is yes, I of course pick up the outrage around this point, but I'm looking underneath that and saying if we have ministers whom, as you said a moment ago, who really heard and really understood the concerns of the electorate, who spoke to that clearly, who really delivered on the mandate of their ministry, I would suggest to you it would shift our perceptions around ministers enormously and we would look at it and say, oh my goodness, look at how well this ministry is doing, rather than then um, almost entering that negative spiral. So I don't dispute the, the outrage over not using public facilities, but I'm really suggesting that, that underlying that, the problem yeah. is much more serious. Yeah, let's have a listen at this. Hi, Oliver. This is uh, Rudolf from Whitbank, um, Pumalanga. You know, Oliver, I fully agree that, uh, you know, all public officials, you know, from the president, uh, uh, you know, ministers, deputy ministers, premiers, MECs, uh, you know, mayors should use uh, public facilities. And that should also include, uh, you, you know, your members of parliament, you know. And now you can see, one can actually see the hypocrisy in, uh, in in members of parliament because they will never support such a call because once they support such a call and it, 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 may, it does not matter whether it's opposition or not the question is why are they not supporting such a call because they also do benefit you know it should be for all of them including MPs you know members of parliament so that they feel what uh, the ordinary uh, citizens feel in this country thank you Oliver Hi Oliver, this is KM from Tiberafil. You know, it's so amazing because the, the politicians of today, the ministers and the deputy ministers, they are doing exactly what the white people used to do during apartheid regime. And they were against it, these people, saying they are in struggle, fighting for it. Today they are in the government, they are doing exactly that thing of pushing this uh, the, the rich the richness, eating the wealth of South Africa, forgetting about the black people who are suffering. Thank you very much. Hi, Oliver. It's Anonymous here. Look, I'm a farm worker and uh, I earn less than 4,000 rand. I have to pay for everything, including the food that I eat at work, lunch and everything, you know. But these guys are getting these things for free. It's actually, it looks like they're living in a different country. You know, a country whereby, look, they're getting everything, I mean, everything is running smoothly. Whereas we on the ground here, things are tough, man. Very, very tough. It annoys me. 
it's things like this that fuel people, I mean, to take up arms and go into do all sorts of nonsense, you know. You see unrest around the, the world, you see um, these rebel groups around the world. It is things like this that fuel all the kind of things. Because when you look at these people, it's, they don't care, you know. They, they just don't care. It's annoying. It's disgusting. Thank you. Good morning, Oliver. You know, that is a good suggestion by, by, by Mr. Duvenache. But it should start at the bottom as well. Our nurses and doctors should use the public hospital. Our teacher, you know, I, I have friends, even anyone that I know who is a teacher, their kids go to private schools. So what are they teaching us? What are they giving our kids that is not suitable for theirs? I think also those who work for government, they must use government facilities like everyone else. Thank you. It's SRC in Bloemfontein. Thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate all of your voice notes on this particular matter. Just perhaps a final question here and a final theme to explore. And and, and maybe and I'm, I'm asking you here, Cynthia, to pull out your crystal ball. <laughs> if, no problem. If ministers were to come out and say, look, we are reducing the perks we have. We're switching over from these fancy SUVs that we're driving to Toyota Corollas. We're going to be living in public housing. We're going to be making use of public facilities. Um, and we're going to reduce the salaries we have. What effect truly would that have on the psychopolitical uh, um, you know, relationship that they have with South Africans' ordinary citizens? I think that while, while you know, there, there would be the cynics who would say it's just a token gesture, um, for me, I, I think that something like that would be part of indicating that there, that there is a genuine shift in terms of their focus. Let's recognize that ministers, by definition, um, hold enormous power and enormous influence. The question is, are they seen to be using that power and influence for their own enrichment, or are they, as they should, using it for the betterment and upliftment of the people of the country? And, and so I think it would be a, a, a noteworthy symbolic gesture to, to really stand aligned with the enormous hardship many of our people are facing. Uh, you know, the Minister of Social Development says we've got online meetings. How many small businesses, down to micro-businesses, cannot run when there's load shedding? The problem is not unique to a minister's meeting. And, and so I, I say again, I, I think it would be a, a symbolic gesture of really recognizing the economic situation in, and the dire economic situation that so, so many of our citizens find yeah. themselves in. Cynthia Skuman, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really, really do appreciate it. That brings us to the end of that conversation. It is 11 o'clock.